Welcome, listener, to episode 25 of the Antigen Internet Radio Show. My name is Jason, and I'll be your host for the next hour and a half on Shipful of Bombs, Southend-on-Sea's premier internet-only radio station. We open the show with Oss by Afro Rack from his album The Afro Rack, released on Hakuna Kalala last month. Afro Rack is Brian Bermania, who built his own modular synthesizer, CV sequencer and effects using circuit diagrams downloaded from the internet when he couldn't find or afford the technology in Uganda. That's it for the DJ stuff. The show returns to its topical current affairs format tonight, after the ratings for last month's episode showed a 32% drop in downloads. If you were managing a radio station, you might think 32% of the audience losing confidence in the ability of the presenter to keep them entertained might indicate it's time for a change. But I see retaining 68% of listeners as an extremely good, positive, conclusive, decisive result that allows me to move on and focus on delivery. But it is clear that audiences want a calmer, blander, more professional alternative, preferably one with no discernible political opinions that a person could object to in a focus group. So this month, I'm going to try talking about less divisive subjects between songs, a bit like they do on Radio Suffolk. So how about the weather then, this weather that we've been having? It's been so hot. I've been sweating like a senior Tory MP waiting to find out whether he's going to be charged under Section 61 of the Sexual Offences Act of 2003 for administering a date rape drug to four victims, including another Conservative MP who woke up to find his nipples being licked by one of his senior colleagues. I've been sweating just like that Conservative MP, but in my case, it was because I was hot. That went well. Let's have another tune.
the Gazelle Twin with Hobby Horse, which came out in 2018. Now, I've tried to put together a light-hearted political current affairs show, but it's difficult to keep it all family-friendly, especially when the Independent Complaints and Grievance Scheme is investigating 56 MPs for sexual misconduct, including three cabinet ministers. So a trigger warning from the outset, this show may contain descriptions of behaviour in public office that some listeners may find offensive. So I've had a few chuckles this month on the Twitter about Nipplegate, hashtag Nipplegate. Hmm, what can we call this to keep it snappy but without trivialising it? It is pretty funny when you think about it. You wake up from being drugged to discover a senior Tory MP in a state of obvious arousal, has partially undressed you and is now lubricating your nipple with his saliva. Must be hilarious. <laughs> Hashtag nipplegate. But not all sexual assault is funny. Another Tory MP, described by police as a man aged in his 50s, was arrested on suspicion of indecent assault, sexual assault, rape, abuse of position of trust and misconduct in public office. He's been bailed until mid-August. The MP in question hasn't been suspended from the party. That would set an awkward precedent. But he has been asked by the Chief Whip, Chris Heaton-Harris, not to enter the parliamentary estate. Conservative MP for Litchfield, Michael Fabricant, was keen to reassure his Twitter followers that he's not this particular rapist. He tweeted on the 18th of May, I'm expecting a strong turnout of Conservative MPs at Prime Minister's questions today, not only to demonstrate their strong support for hashtag Boris, but also to prove they are not the one told by the chief whip to stay at home. I'll be there. Winky face emoji. As far as I'm aware, there's nothing to prevent this latest alleged Tory rapist from carrying out duties in his constituency. So my advice is, if you're meeting your Conservative MP, meet him in a well-lit place and do not leave your cup of tea unattended. Now, I realise that this advice puts the emphasis on victims being responsible for reducing the chance of being raped by their Conservative MP, rather than placing responsibility on the MPs themselves. So if you're a Conservative MP listening to this show, and you're thinking of administering GHB to a work colleague to find out what's under his shirt, or if you're thinking of stripping naked and climbing uninvited into the bed of your drug dealer while your wife and kids wait for you at home, or if you're thinking about consoling a 15-year-old boy because you think he's confused about his sexuality and that you can help by plying him with alcohol and feeling him up, don't do it. Think of the reputation of the house. Think of the five out of six MPs who are not currently being investigated for sexual misconduct in the workplace. <laughs> picture entertainment. Mugambo, unforgettable adventure in untamed Africa. Africa, known for centuries as the white man's graveyard. The heat and fury of the jungle tears the veneer of civilization from these women. No holds are barred as they fall in love with a man who lives for adventure. 
facing existential threats My advice, kill them dead, no regrets The devil's rejects, writ large Observe the precepts of a benevolent God Blue-eyed Prometheans in the heart of darkness Land of the monsters Walk like Quetzalcoatl amongst the conquered Dick hard, put myself in the stars His woman in the dirt, face down, ass up Doing God's work, go native, the world is yours The sound of Maxim's gun still sends a chill up my spine Empire of the sun never sets and Christian's duty is never done You can bet on significant returns to all shareholders King Solomon's minds just give me a hundred experienced soldiers The knowledge of good and evil, sweet nothings whispered by cobras Useless baubles given to greedy chiefs Lies told with the practice ease from an old thief When they hung the poor nigga I felt a certain relief A time for discretion, Fowler I'm gonna run out of bullets before they run out of spears Take up your burden, the savage wars of peace Fill full the mouth of famine and bid the sickness cease And when your goal is nearest, the end for others sought Watch sloth and heathen folly bring all your hopes to naught Gold ill-gotten with guts and gleaming Martin Henry guns With that holy trinity, who can argue my divinity under two red suns? Return like Kipling's dead son, summoned by monkey paw A thousand Philistines slain with the donkey's jaw Gave them the rule of law, schools, roads, jobs Clothes and shod Still they fled to the land of Nod Eden's east Upon his brow mark of the beast Empire fat like a cow Slaughtered for the feast The stink of a jackal's teeth The gears of war get grease Ground him down to raw meat Whites to the eyes Limpid minds An apartheid of the mind Britannia's corpse exhumed Hair and nails still growing Dr. Livingston I presume Blood rivers still flowing The forest inoxorably growing As Kinshasa crumbles the dreams of Romans drowned out by Nair Gongo's rumble. Take up your burden, the savage wars of peace Fill full the mouth of famine and bid the sickness cease And when your goal is nearest, the end for others sought Watch sloth and heathen folly bring all your hopes to naught Did you see his necklace? Yeah, a little pretentious for my taste You travel along uncharted waterways on a suspenseful safari Venture across the African belt, alive with all manner of wild beasts. The blood-chilling spectacle, the battle of the gorillas, photographed for the first time. The Man Who Would Be King by Billy Woods from History Will Absolve Me, the 10th anniversary edition, which came out in April this year. So what have we missed? The Queen's speech was on May the 10th. This year, she turned down the role of royal sock puppet and sent her big son and her favourite hat to the state opening of Parliament, while she stayed at home watching Cash in the Attic. This left Prince Charles with the unenviable task of mouthing Boris Johnson's message to an audience that included 14.5 million flag-waving peasants living in poverty in the fifth richest nation on earth. This was low-hanging fruit for amateur political satirists. An old man dressed like buttons from Cinderella, sitting on a golden chair next to his mum's hat, the imperial state hat, 
with its 2,868 diamonds, 17 sapphires, 11 emeralds, 269 pearls and 4 rubies, and its own cushion. But I can't afford to alienate any more listeners in Southend, so we're not going to go there. Instead, we're going to keep it lowbrow and see what the papers are saying about the man who's first in line for the throne when the old queen pops her clogs. A headline in Metro caught my eye a couple of weeks ago. Prince Charles loves gimp masks for cows. The headline proved to be a tiny bit misleading in that Prince Charles does not appear to have said at any point that he loves gimp masks for cows. The prince was, however, at a climate change event in South London viewing these so-called gimp masks which were designed by the Zero Emissions Livestock Project to cut methane emissions from cows' burps. The mask can, presumably, be worn during rubberware fun play with members of the royal family, but the article offered no actual evidence this has taken place.
That was Under the Sun, from the Dream album, released on Shore Dive Records last month. Under the Sun is the latest incarnation of Ipswich scene veteran Matt Catling. Matt was kind enough to send that to me. If you want your music to be heard by an ever-dwindling audience of about 80 people, feel free to send me a link via the socials. I probably won't play it. The Queen's speech was conspicuously short on ideas to tackle the cost of living crisis. Secretary of State for Leveling Up Housing and Communities, Michael Gove, MP, was tasked with playing down talk of an emergency budget. He thought the public might find it reassuring if he told them to calm down in a comedy scouse accent. Some commentators chasing their own tails uh, and trying to take a statement that is commonsensical, turning it into uh, a major capital letters, a big news story. Um, and in fact, when the Treasury quite rightly say, calm down, then um, people... Um, uh, uh... <laughs> That's what I hate about cocaine. You never know when you're making a twat of yourself. Conservative MP for Ashfield, Lee Anderson, was more bullish. He had some tough love for the Red Wall Conservatives who had voted him into his £84,144 a year job as a Tory backbencher, telling MPs on the 11th of May that we shouldn't blame the government for poverty. Instead, we should blame the poor people because they can't cook properly and they can't budget. He made a modest proposal to the Commons that a poor person could feed themselves for 30 pence a day. Which means, by his logic, you could feed 83 members of Parliament on one MP's daily subsistence allowance of 25 quid. Now that's a reality show I would happily pitch to a newly privatised Channel 4. Remember how viewers loved watching Nadine Doris eating an ostrich anus for cash and I'm a celebrity? Imagine the exotic awful combinations. Jacob Rees-Mogg frying up a baby pangolin, or Grant Shapps swallowing a monkey's cock. Anyway, I digress. Being a hand-wringing liberal who's worked in welfare rights for 19 years, I can appreciate how a 20-year-old on universal credit has trouble budgeting for food on £8.55 a day, especially as that has to cover all their living expenses, including utility bills, phone, internet, clothes, travel costs, sanitary products and toiletries, a lot. I'm less clear as to why an MP on over £84,000 a year can't afford to feed themselves at the House of Commons without the taxpayer subsidising their booze and food to the tune of £5.5 million a year. Data obtained from the House of Commons by Open Democracy show that we forked out £17 million over the three years from 2020 to 2022 so that MPs don't have to pay more than nine quid for a char-grilled ribeye steak with hand-cut chips. The House of Commons is keen to point out that its venues do not provide a subsidised service in the commercial sense of the word. Remember, it was all in episode 8. Independent companies cater for MPs and their guests, selling them food and alcohol at prices so low the companies are unable to cover their operating costs. The taxpayer then makes up the deficit, but this is not called a subsidy because that would be politically embarrassing. If MPs can't afford to pay the going rate for seared Barbary Duck Supreme with plum marmalade and sage potato gatto, because they can't budget on 84 grand a year, maybe restaurants in the Commons should try serving up something they can afford, like spaghetti rings on toast. But I don't want to risk alienating any listeners in South End by getting too political. I can't afford to lose any more. So I went to Ask Jeeves and typed in, Does Lee Anderson like gimp masks for cows? Unfortunately, 
I couldn't find any reliable information online about whether Lee Anderson MP likes cows in gimp masks, or whether he prefers them maskless so he can hear them mooing in pain while he tortures their udders for his own perverse sexual gratification. As I said, there's no evidence of his preference. Mask. No mask. No evidence either way.
Brazilian Psychedelia from 1968, Os Mutantes, with Panisette Sakenzis from their self-titled debut album, although that version was from the Everything Is Possible compilation. Panemet Sakenzis means bread and circuses, a phrase attributed to Roman poet Juvenal in the 2nd century of the Common Era. Bread and circuses being the means by which a government generates popular approval, not by efficient and effective public service, but by diversion and distraction techniques and by bribing them with a dorset knob, which was the rudest type of bread I could find on Wikipedia. Of course now, in more civilised times, if you're the Chancellor of the Exchequer, and your leadership aspirations have taken a knock because large parts of the country can't afford electricity, you could just give everyone £400. They can then hand this over to an energy company so that shareholders don't lose their dividends, as they would had our government implemented a French-style price cap. Rishi's also giving out extra cash to people on means-tested benefits. They'll receive an additional £650 payable in two instalments, giving them £1,050 towards the cost of living. Which seems quite generous, until you factor in the £20 a week that the government took off universal credit in November of last year. £20 a week equates, obviously, to £1,040 a year. So Rishi's latest attempt to buy love from hard-up Red Wall Conservative voters in the presently quite clement North will leave them a whole £10 a year better off than if he'd done nothing at all. Rishi realised he'd need to do more than just bribe people with their own money if he wanted to resurrect his leadership chances after Partygate, Petrol Pumpgate, Debit Cardgate and non-domiciliary Spousegate. So he's invested £500,000 of public cash in rebuilding his reputation commissioning twice-weekly focus groups and weekly online polling from Delta Poll in what Labour described as little more than a taxpayer-funded vanity exercise for a Chancellor desperate to repair his image. He could have saved the taxpayer some cash and just tweeted, see you at the Commons on Friday as I'm not a rapist. Winky face emoji. Cross your heart and hope to die. Where do you get off this time? Heartless, cold blood in your veins. Drinking from the dripping drains. Wait upon your withered neck, what exactly did you expect? Time was when you ruled the roost, turning the hostages loose. If it's not right, it must be wrong, for you to sing the birthday song. Party pooper, here he comes, pressing his eyeballs with his thumbs. When blood is dripping from your face, you feel like you're in outer space. You can't wait to get home from work, take your head out of your shirt. Roll it down the bowling lane, like a fistful of spare change. Meanwhile, in the parking lot, you feel your blood begin to clot. You fix your car from underneath, with a rose between your teeth. Running out of things to say, tomorrow is another day. If I could make love to you, that would be the thing to do. But you seem to think I'm not your kind, that maybe love is hard to find. 
Well, love is like a poison dart that makes your wheelchair fall apart. It puts you in a crazy mood and tries to put you off your food, sends you to the shopping mall, spends your dollars, one and all. Then, when you have nothing more, except one lousy drinking stroke, that's when you begin to sing about absolutely anything. You raise your head and stamp your feet, you even get out of your seat. You raise the roof and charge about, you don't notice when your brains fall out. And so they say the story goes. There's no time left to smell the rose. Party Pooper by Jack Rundle, originally from the Difficult Listening Hour CDR, later collected with 72 other tracks on the Home Recordings 2005 to 2015 3CD box set, which we had the privilege to release on Antigen in 2018. On the 22nd of May, number 10 Downing Street was officially confirmed as the lockdown party capital of the UK. It became the most fined address in the country after the Metropolitan Police issued 126 fixed penalty notices to 83 individuals for events that took place there over an 11-month period, smashing the previous record of 78 fines held by a rave in Hackney in January 2021. While shit munchers like you and I sat at home being radicalised by conspiracy theories, Spads at number 10 block booked Wine Time Fridays to help them chillax after a hard week masterminding the Covid response that left the UK with the highest death toll in Europe. Scotland Yard issued fines for lockdown breaches at eight events in total, including the infamous Bring Your Own Booze work event organised by Martin Reynolds in May 2020 and the infamous Reinforcement Booze in a Suitcase work event organised for James Slack's departure in April 2021. Despite being present at several events, including Lee Kane's leaving do on the 13th of November 2020, where he was photographed with a glass of wine surrounded by empties, the Prime Minister lived up to his reputation as a slippery pig and somehow managed to escape with a single fine. People more cynical than I have suggested that this may have something to do with the Met's decision to issue self-incrimination questionnaires to partygoers, inviting them to admit to their own law-breaking. For those of you worried that this means the police are going soft on historical Covid breaches, we'll be relieved to know that three people arrested under Covid restrictions during a vigil for Sarah Everard were each fined £200 by magistrates on the 9th of June and ordered to pay £100 in court costs and a £34 victim surcharge. More than six times the going rate for a party at number 10. The socially distanced vigil in March of last year was banned by the Met citing Covid restrictions. A ban ruled unlawful by the High Court, which found that it breached what we used to call the human rights to freedom of speech and assembly. The Met then used your cash to lodge an unsuccessful appeal against the judgment, and on the 31st of May, they refused permission to appeal for a second time using your money. I went to sleep. I went to sleep. Anticipating on dreaming, 
I fell deeper, 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 deeper in a dream. And I dreamed that I woke up, that I woke up in a fucked up America. America Clients all that had lasted for years was now causing tears and walls of walls all about the walls all about the walls About the wall All the way up on Wall Street I woke up in a fuck of America And through happy Seemed to be a part of my dream Of reality Of what the future would be Yeah, human fighting in the street. Telephone abuse, computer misuse, over-identify, ah, that a beat to the cloud. I woke up. America But this boat don't count And that boat don't count And in this town I'm rolling around the world And all I realize Fuck up, fuck up, fuck up, fuck up.
let me out of this dream. I woke up in a fucked up America by Lonnie Holly from his Myth album released on Jag Jaguar in 2018. Track I was originally planning to play in the wake of the most recent newsworthy school shooting in Texas. I can now play in the aftermath of the US Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, removing the constitutional right to abortion. The completion of the Met's investigation finally cleared the way for the long-awaited publication of Sue Gray's report. I know we're all ready to move on and focus on the priorities of the British people, so I'll skip to the end where she concludes that Many will be dismayed that behaviour of this kind took place on this scale at the heart of government. The public have a right to expect the very highest standards of behaviour in such places, and clearly what happened fell well short of this. In a speech laden with Weasley justification and virtue signalling about his workload, Prime Minister acknowledged that he fell short of his own rules and that people had the right to expect better from him. But then he reflected and decided it might be easier just to change the rules, specifically the ministerial code, that has existed since the Second World War and is designed to hold the government to account and maintain standards in public life. On the 27th of May, the government published an updated version of the Code, in which Johnson had removed all reference to the seven Nolan principles of public life from the foreword that he penned in 2019 when he first took office. Out went the sentence, The precious principles of public life enshrined in this document Integrity, objectivity, accountability, transparency, honesty and leadership in the public interest must be honoured at all times. He also changed the rules so that ministers would not always be expected to resign for breaching the code of conduct. They could say sorry instead. This amendment could come in useful later as Johnson is facing an investigation to see whether he himself knowingly breached the ministerial code by misleading Parliament over the so-called Partygate scandal. Chair of the Privileges Committee, Chris Bryant, tweeted, The new ministerial code is a disgrace. It means that the tiny semblance of accountability disappears. But number 10 issued a statement to say the Prime Minister's changes have the backing of the Committee on Standards in Public Life and the Prime Minister's independent advisor on ministers' interests, Lord Guite, who then resigned on the 15th of June. Lord Guite, whose position seemed barely tenable after he conceded to a cross-party committee that it was reasonable to suggest the Prime Minister had breached the ministerial code by failing to act in accordance with the law, finally resigned after his boss tried to get him to pre-approve future breaches of the code so that Boris didn't have to deal with the faff of an inquiry next time he broke into national law. At this point, you could be forgiven for thinking you've tuned into a repeat. But no. You're thinking of John Penrose, the Prime Minister's former anti-corruption champion, who resigned on the 6th of June this year as he could not defend a fundamental breach of the ministerial code. Or maybe Sir Alex Allen, the previous independent advisor on ministers' interests, who resigned on the 20th of November 2020 after Johnson overruled his findings that serial bully Pretty Patel had breached the ministerial code by bullying staff. Anyway, whatever. Is now a vacancy for someone prepared to lecture Boris Johnson on ethics, which I imagine is a bit like lecturing a Labrador on string theory.
with Deutsche Girls, originally from the soundtrack of Derek Jarman's Jubilee in 1978. That was a clean version, released several years later as a single in 1982. And I played that to honour the old queen, who's celebrating her platinum jubilee, or platy-tubes, for people who like waving their tiny flags, and also have trouble with words containing three or more syllables. <laughs> Imagine that Venn diagram. Just be one big circle, wouldn't it? Not that I blame people failed by the educational system in this country. This isn't spellchecker racist. Um, people don't need to know which way up the flag goes. As long as someone fixes it to a stick for them, they can do the rest. And anyway, look at the Queen. She never took an exam in her life. And look where she is now. Just shows what you can achieve if you believe in yourself. Platitudes was a funny old time for people who thought they were living in a 21st century parliamentary democracy. Many were forced to question the very nature of reality when Stacey Solomon became the sole voice of reason after a clip of her revolutionary views on the monarchy resurfaced on Twitter. Thankfully, she was mysteriously absent from loose women's platitudes coverage, so we were not forced to wrestle with the dichotomy of celebrating someone born into unimaginable privilege while criticising the cooking skills of the 26% of the UK population who live in absolute poverty, or Abbey Poffs, as I like to call it. I was pleased to see Keir Starmer joining in the fun, telling us it's our patriotic duty to wave our tiny flags. Keir Starmer, Metropolitan Labour's Robert Jenrick. I was also pleased to see the most reverend Stephen Cottrell, Archbishop of York, who came on as a sub for Justin Welby to read the Platinum Jubilee Sermon at St Paul's where he apparently compared the Queen to a horse. But it's okay, because she was at home watching Bargain Hunt. Archbishop Cottrell has come a long way since he got his big break, writing the liner notes for the Big C album by Rev Simpkins back in 2020, although I don't think we can take all the credit. If you want to pick up a rare and exclusive piece of Platinum Jubilee memorabilia, a Rev Simpkins CD and softback book with a foreword written by the most reverend Stephen Cottrell, Archbishop of York, from the telly, there are still copies available to purchase from the Antigen Records web store. Here's the title track.
Simpkins with Big C, the title track from the Jubilee Souvenir Special Edition album featuring the words of the most reverend Stephen Cottrell, Archbishop of York, from the telly. I normally like to segue from Rev Simpkins into the most rude and controversial part of the show, just in case any members of the clergy are listening. But not this time. Justin Welby wasn't the only person to miss out on the Jubilee fun. Also absent from the proceedings was Prince Andrew, Randy Andy the Playboy Prince, who contracted a rare version of COVID that incapacitates people who might remind the public of his close friendship with convicted child sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein. But it felt like the Queen's favourite son was there, at least in spirit, when the song Prince Andrew is a Sweaty Nonce by the Cunts reached number one in the official singles downloads charts in the Jubilee week. Cunts is spelt with a K, K K-U-N-T-S, just like I explained in episode 19, so it's okay to say it on the radio without the risk of people finding it offensive. Unlike their song, which is highly offensive and almost certainly slanderous, because Prince Andrew has strenuously denied that he's able to sweat. Remember? Because of his unique medical condition, caused by an overdose of adrenaline when he was being a war hero in the Falklands? Keep up. Prince Andrew may have been forced to lurk backstage, Prince Charles may have turned up dressed like buttons from Cinderella, but it was Boris who brought the panto spirit to the Jubilee, turning it into a bring-your-own-booze party when he arrived to a chorus of disapproval at the Queen's Jubilee service. Listening to a crowd of Queen fans jeer the Prime Minister, I have to admit I felt a little emotional. After years of division caused by Brexit, fanned by opportunistic political culture warriors, Boris had finally succeeded in bringing the country together, uniting the left-wing Republican woke worthies and the right-wing royalist flag-waving shit munchers in their shared contempt for him as a person and as a prime minister. And even though these flag-waving shit munchers could only articulate their disapproval by emitting low resonant booing sounds from their faces, similar to the noises made by cows when they have their gimp masks removed. I felt this communicated something more eloquent than words could ever convey, and I cried a little tear.
Sergio Bollico, but that's how I imagine it's pronounced, with Goat Lips. From the new 97 to 99, three album vinyl set that collects strange warmings of Ladio Bollico in real time and as if by remote. The booze that greeted Boris as he arrived at the Jubilee service sent a clear signal to Conservative MPs keen to keep their day jobs after the next general election. And the following Monday, Graham Brady, the chairman of the 1922 committee, announced that the threshold of 54 letters seeking a vote of no confidence in the Prime Minister had been reached. Johnson won the confidence vote later that evening, though 148 Tory MPs voted to get rid of him. Despite 41% of his party turning against him, Johnson felt he'd been given a clear mandate to continue, insisting that it was an extremely good, positive, conclusive, decisive result that would allow him to move on to unite and focus on delivery. In other news, eight towns were granted city status in the Platinum Jubilee Civic Honours competition. The Old Queen snubbed Suffolk, my adopted home county, population 760,000, and granted city status to Port Stanley in the Falkland Islands, population 2,500 people and 600,000 penguins. Alright you dirty horrible luck, get your bleeding air cat! No sir, I won't! Bring it in a rally, and I'm in fear as fuck, and I'm a racist 
Express with a song to celebrate the 40th anniversary of that glorious victory over Argentina in Las Islas Malvinas in 1982. A victory that was thanks in no large part to the bravery of the war hero Prince Andrew, who served on the Invincible and was terribly disabled after an overload of adrenaline from being brave, left him unable to be the sweaty man spotted leaving Tramp Nightclub 19 years later with the trafficked American teenager, Virginia Dufresne. It's just a shame that he never got the chance to clear his name in court. That was Sheep Farming in the Falklands by Crass, released as a 17.78 centimetre single in 1983. Of course, soon we won't have to explain the format of singles in metric measurements. One of the many advantages of Brexit is we'll be able to call them 7 inches and 12 inches again. And I think I speak for everyone in the UK music industry when I say this is the one change we've all been waiting for. Thank you, Jacob Rees-Mogg, for another Brexit opportunity. In episode 23, I criticised Nimby Numpty Pretty Patel for her plans to traffic refugees 4,500 miles to Central Africa to cheer up a handful of racists. It's safe to say I wasn't the only one critical of the plan, and on the 12th of May, Patel went on the offensive in the Commons saying, Those on the benches opposite are eager to defend the murderers, paedophiles, rapists, thugs and people with no right to be here. Or, in her own angry voice, Those on the benches opposite are eager to defend the murderers, paedophiles, rapists, thugs and people with no right to be here. They cheer on the selfish protesters who cause chaos and endanger life. Now I'm no fan of Keir Starmer but this was a new low for Labour. Only a lunatic would want to keep foreign murderers, paedophiles, rapists and thugs in the UK. But it turns out she doesn't. She wants to send them to Rwanda, which, as we've established, is one of the most welcoming and prosperous countries in the world. I'll admit, as much as I like the idea of paying income tax to put people on planes and send them somewhere else, I feel a little bit sorry for the lovely, welcoming Rwandan people. The plane lands and they roll out the world-famous Rwandan welcome, only to find out we haven't sent them a load of refugees fleeing war or persecution in their native country. <clears throat> we've, tr we've tricked them by sending a plane full of murderers, paedophiles, rapists and thugs. Surely Rwanda has been through enough. If I were one of these hypothetical rapists, used as a rhetorical device by Priti Patel in her ad hominem attack on the Labour front bench, I think I prefer to stay in the UK, as it appears to be a country with more opportunities for raping people. After 12 years of Conservative or Coalition rule and three years of Priti Patel in charge of the Home Office, only 1.3% of reported rapes result in a charge or summons. And even if the perpetrator is charged, the Ministry of Justice revealed in January that the mean average time from the date of the offence to the completion of the criminal case it's 2,767 days. That's more than seven and a half years. And if I were one of these hypothetical rapists, and I was worried about being persecuted by the state for my views on raping people, I think I would still prefer to stay in the UK, because Great Britain is a representative democracy, where one in six of the MPs we've elected are currently under investigation for sexual impropriety in the workplace. And that's just behaviour MPs have been reported for 
in the workplace. Imagine what they do on their time off. Imagine. With a Tory rapist on police bail, Imran Ahmed Khan banged up for molesting a child, Neil Parrish resigning for watching porn at work, David Warburton's alleged coke fuel grindings, and naughty Tories Charlie Elphick, Rob Roberts, Andrew Griffiths. And of course, their anonymous colleague who's been knocking out his co-workers with GHB to get to their nipples. I think the last thing we need to worry about is protecting our women, children and tractors from sex offenders coming over here from abroad. As the Brexiteers keep saying, this country is already full. The resignations of Imran Ahmed Khan, who needed time to focus on clearing his name from prison. And Neil Parrish, who needed to spend more time in the toilet with his phone triggered two by-elections in Redwall Conservative Wakefield and in the Tory heartland of Tiverton and Honiton. These both took place on the 23rd of June and would be a litmus test for the government's belief that the public were ready to move on from Partygate. But, just to be on the safe side, the party campaign team sent Boris Johnson on a mission to Ukraine to be 3,000 miles away from any voters. Wakefield was a traditional Labour seat until voters had turned against the party in 2019, repulsed by Jeremy Corbyn's belief in a fairer society, preferring instead to elect a Tory child molester. Labour retook the seat with a majority of just under 5,000 votes. In Tiverton and Honiton, the Lib Dems overturned a Conservative majority of over 24,000 with a swing of almost 30%, forcing Tory candidate Helen Herford to barricade herself in a back room to avoid the press. The Conservatives have now lost four of their last five by-elections, with a 20% drop in support overall. Now, a rational person might see these results as an inevitable reaction to a corrupt and incompetent government of self-serving cronies and their enablers. What, in the 17th century, Paul Gosnold referred to as a cacistocracy, a government run by the most unscrupulous and least qualified. Or, as he put it, in a sermon preached at the public fast on the ninth day of August 1644 at St Mary's, those who seek their private ends in the public disturbance and have set the kingdom on fire to roast their own eggs. But Attorney General Suella Braverman saw the result differently. She saw it as evidence of, quotes, a dishonest electoral pact between Labour and the Lib Dems. She appeared to forget the Conservatives' dishonest electoral pact with a Brexit party that went a long way to securing the Tory majority in the 2019 election when Putin's sock puppet Nigel Farage agreed to withdraw Brexit party candidates from the 317 Tory-held seats, focusing instead on seats held by Labour. And let's not mention the confidence and supply agreement with the DUP in 2017, which amounted to little more than a £1 billion bung for propping up Theresa May's minority government. No one voted for that.
New from Essex label Hypostatic Union. That was long-suffering shipful of bombs boss man Alastair Johnson with his new project Weaponize. The track was Tone Churn 1 and that's available on the Weaponize lathe cut 12 inch in a limited edition of 20. It can also be downloaded from Bandcamp. That was not played under duress or in expectation of special favours. I'm pretty sure no one from the station listens to this show anyway. I don't think we'd have made it to episode 25 if they did. That's almost it for tonight's show. Time to forget the serious stuff and sign off with a bit of light-hearted animal fun. On the 10th of June, Prince Charles was reported to have privately criticised the government's policy of deporting migrants to Rwanda, describing it as appalling. Nigel Farage responded by tweeting that the future King of England should shut up fast if he didn't want to destroy the monarchy, the subtext being he should keep out of politics. As an outspoken opponent of what he calls toxic cancel culture, Farage has also done his best to keep out of British politics by failing in seven attempts to become an MP, but this doesn't stop him from sharing his thoughts as a private citizen. But unlike many people on his Twitter feed, I did not question Nigel's right to tell the future king what to do. In fact, I was waiting for him to set Charlie's old mum straight as well. I nearly spat out my tiny flag while I was watching the Platy-Jubes coverage on June the 4th. There was the old queen having tea with Paddington fucking bear. A bear who by his own admission arrived in the UK as a stowaway from darkest Peru. Clearly in breach of home office visa requirements and almost certainly contravening the quarantine rules for importing live animals. A bear who is at best an illegal immigrant and at worst an invasive species threatening the future of our native British bears by placing an unreasonable strain on the bread and marmalade supply chain infrastructure. I'm keenly awaiting Paddington 3, where hopefully he'll be electronically tagged, sent to an immigration removal centre and then flown to Rwanda to start a new life with the rapists, paedophiles, thugs, murderers and bears with no right to be here. I'm going to leave you with something to wash away the foul aftertaste of Paddington Bear. This is Nina Nastasia with This Is Love from a new album Riderless Horse, which is out on the 22nd of July. It'll be a first new album in 12 years for reasons that make pretty grim reading. If the ratings improve, I'll be back in four weeks' time on Southend-on-Sea's premier internet-only radio station, Ship Full of Bombs. Is this love? It feels so bad Drawing blood until we both see black We're depleted but we stay on track Holding hands through every violent blast I guess I'll just stay in hell with you if this is love Throw a punch or two and take a few then rise above Soon we will work it like a dance Taking turns to lead and follow to the dissonance Love is near Scar any 
Is this love? Is this love? Is this love? We got off on the terrible times. Killing joy is such a trivial crime. Do we all get to the same good night? We got there sooner than shut out the light. I guess I'll just stay in hell with you if this is love. Throw a punch or two and take a few, then rise above. Nothing is buried in the sand. Not a jewel that keeps its shimmer once you get it in your hand. Soon we will work it like a dance, taking turns to lead and follow to the dissonance. This is love. This is love. This is love. This is love. This is love.